word here again in Colossians chapter 1. If you weren't here last week, we launched a series in Colossians last week, and now we've come to this incredible passage of Scripture. It's one of the great passages about Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. So if you're wondering who Jesus is, why He deserves to reign in the world and in your own life, you've come on the right Sunday. If, you're, if you were here last week, you'll remember that Paul and Silas were praying in these first verses, praying that, thanking God for the gospel coming to the Colossians and praying for their spiritual growth. And at the end of that passage, Paul was saying that God has transferred them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And now we come in verse 15 and we get to see who this son is. Why is he worthy of our worship? So if you have God's word, you can open it up to verse 15 of chapter 1, Colossians 1. It will also be on your screens, and I'll be reading starting in verse 15. Before I start reading, I just want to have a quick aside for you. Since I'm newer here, you'll be wondering sometimes, well, what version are you preaching from in the Bible? So a little different than mine, maybe. I preach from the English Standard Version. This isn't an advertisement of any kind. I just want you to know what I'm preaching from and why. The English Standard Version, and I chose and I choose that version. I have been preaching from it for years now because I believe it does the best job of showing what's in the original language, and also it's very readable. And so it's a way that the congregation and the pastor can kind of read the same version together, and that's why I use this version. So if you need a copy of that, we can get you one in the back. And if you like another version, that's fine. We, there's a lot of good versions out there. Just know what I'm preaching from. So Colossians 1, 15 to 23. This is the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And is, he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's word. You may sit down. Well, let's pray together again once just coming to God's word, asking him, to speak to us through it. Father in heaven, we come to your word today with awe and wonder. We are in awe of the fact that you would reveal yourself to us through this word. 
And we're full of wonder that of this fact that you would pursue us, that you would speak to us. So Holy Spirit, please help us receive your word with freshness and eagerness today. We ask that you would open our eyes, that we might see wonderful things in it. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, there is a game out there. If you're a youth age or kid or youth age, you may know this. There's a game called Bigger and Better. It's a fun one. If you've never played it and want to learn it, this is a shameless plug for youth ministry. Just sign up. We, we meet Sundays at 4 p.m. It's, it's an amazing time. But this game, the premise of this game is that groups of kids, they'll take something very small. Sometimes they'll take a penny. Sometimes they'll take a tennis ball. And groups will go around to a neighborhood and they'll knock on doors. And they'll ask people, could we have something bigger and better than this? So you start with a tennis ball and you can imagine you go from house to house and things start to get bigger and better. And by the end of this time, you want to believe what some people are willing to give away. Uh, you, you can get large TVs, couches. Jared was telling me about a go-kart that <laughs> a group had at one point. So it could be a very productive game as well. So wh whichever group comes back with the biggest and the best object, they win the game. And now, while I doubt that this game, Bigger and Better, was created back in the first century, the people of Colossae were tempted to fall prey to this bigger and better thinking, this bigger and better mentality. You see, they had started very well. The gospel had come to them. They were trusting in Jesus alone for their salvation. But now other voices were coming in, voices that were saying that there are bigger or better things that they needed to be doing in order to grow. And so as a result, the believers were in need of a reminder to stay the course, to stick with Jesus. And that's the reason why Paul penned this letter to the Colossians. And we need that same reminder today, do we not? We cannot and must not move beyond Jesus. Our passage today highlights the fact that you can never get bigger or better than Jesus. He's the biggest and the best. His greatness, His majesty, they're far beyond our highest comprehension. And so with that in mind, what is God calling us to in His Word today? I believe five words. Five words, if you're just taking notes, these are good five words to write down. Never stop trusting in Jesus. Never stop trusting in Jesus. I get this from verse 23, which we'll get to. Continue in the faith, Paul says, if you continue in the faith, but never stop trusting in Jesus. Our passage can be divided into three sections. The first two are in what's called this Christ hymn. Verses 15 to 20 are an ancient hymn. We don't know if Paul wrote it or if it's just a song that he's putting into this letter, but there's two sections within there around the concept of firstborn. So the concept of Jesus as firstborn of all creation and the firstborn from the dead. And then the third section of our text is this section that talks, starts with and you in verse 21. So those are the three sections within our text. And I believe they give us three reasons why we should never stop trusting 
in Jesus. The first reason comes in verse 15 to 18, and it's that we need to trust in Jesus because he reigns over all creation. You know, songs tend to get stuck in our head, and uh, certain songs get stuck a little more than others. I told you this is a hymn, 15 to 20, this is a hymn here. Um, And I was thinking about catchy songs, and, and we have a son who's a year and a half, and there's a song there that he really used to like. He still likes it. It's called Baby Shark. And uh, yeah, a few of you know Baby Shark. You got young kids. And I won't sing it for those of you who don't know it. You can look it up later. It'll get stuck in your head. It's a very simple song. It kind of goes like this. Baby Shark, do, 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 do. Baby Shark, do, 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 do. And then it goes Daddy, Mommy, all, that, all those kind of sharks. But it gets stuck in your head. And And here, in verse 15, Paul here appears to be quoting from a hymn that was sung by Christians at the time. Either he wrote it or he he took it from somewhere else. And what an incredible song it is. He wants this song to get stuck in our head. He wants us to know who this Jesus is. Because all of us, no matter of our background, we do have a concept of who Jesus is. You may be coming in this morning and you've known about Jesus since you were just you know, yay high. Some of you have come in this morning and you don't know much about Jesus at all, and that's why you're here. I've had people tell me, uh, why did Jesus do this? And then they proceed to quote from The Chosen, which is a a TV show if you've watched it. And I was thinking, well, he he didn't do that. (laughs) That was a creative liberty by those who made this TV show. So we get a concept about who Jesus is from various places. We can get it from these TV shows, some of which are very good, some of which aren't. We can get it from the culture. We can get it from elsewhere. But we need to keep coming back to God's Word. What does God say about Jesus in His Word? We need to be shaped about who Jesus is from the Bible. So with that, under uh, let's look at the text and under this first point that Jesus reigns over all creation, verse 15 begins by saying what? He is the image of the invisible God. Who is Jesus? He is God himself. It's not, here it's not an image like George Washington is an image of his true self on the dollar bill. No, this means that Jesus is the living image of the invisible God. In other words, he is God in the flesh, and he makes God known to us. So that means if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He's the full embodiment of deity. Later in our passage in verse 19, Paul says that in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That means that Jesus is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. Next we read, he is the firstborn of all creation. There can be some misunderstanding here if we're not careful of what the firstborn is. Because if you've read the Bible, you know the concept of firstborn. It's 140 times throughout Scripture the word firstborn is used. Sometimes there's the firstborn with like Jacob and Esau. Sometimes we have the firstborn animal that was sacrificed. God calls Israel his firstborn son. He killed the firstborn of Egypt in the time of the Passover. 
So we have a lot of concepts when we're thinking about firstborn. But here, firstborn in Colossians 1 doesn't mean Jesus was ever created. We know that from the rest of Scripture. He existed from all time. Jesus is eternal. It can't mean that. It also doesn't mean that he was firstborn in his family, although that is true. Luke 2.7 affirms Jesus as Mary's firstborn son. Now, right here in this text, as firstborn is used twice here, it has the sense of being supreme over. That's what commentator Doug Moo says. He says it's supreme over. It's captured nicely in Psalm 89, if you go back and look at that in verse 27, when the messianic king is being talked about who is ultimately pointed to Jesus Psalm 89, verse 27, it says, I will make him, this king, the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So what does firstborn mean? Here in Colossians 1, it's a descriptor of rank, of place, of status. It could mean far above, far greater than, reigns over. And after such a statement, the natural question is why? Why does Jesus have that place? Why can he have that place? If you're skeptical about Jesus, you are asking that question. Why, why does Jesus get that place? Why can he reign over all creation? Well, verse 16 tells us. It's because Jesus is, in fact, the creator. Look at verse 16. For in him all things were created. This statement is huge. It, it should cause us to pause, to reflect I encourage you to do so this week, to think about Jesus as creator. What did he create? The text in verse 16 says he created everything, all things, all things first in heaven or in the heavens. What does that mean? It means God created, or Jesus created the sun. He, he created all the stars and the planets. He created the Milky Way galaxy. Every distant star, planet, you know that new telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope. There, we're just discovering all these galaxies that are out there. The entire endless universe, Jesus created it all. It was all created through him. But that's not all. He also created all the things on earth, all the mountains, the breathtaking beauty of Switzerland, the tropical paradise of Hawaii, the ocean and all the life within. Not long ago, I watched a documentary on Antarctica, and you would think, man, that would be a boring documentary. <laughs> it's like ice? No, thank you. But underneath all of that ice in Antarctica, there is life, there is color, there is a whole system that, of a whole world that is going on that until recently nobody really knew anything about. But Jesus created that too. He, he created, it was all created through him and for him. So Jesus created everything that we can see, everything visible, but also everything invisible. What does that mean? Verse 16 elaborates on what these invisible things are, if you look there. They're thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Often Paul, you'll know if you've read the New Testament, uses these kind of words to talk about the evil spiritual powers, the devil, the demons, the hierarchy within the evil uh, created spiritual order. 
So it surely means that he has created them and they are subservient to him. But it also means that he's created all the angelic beings, the archangels, the cherubim, the seraphim, everything we cannot see in the spiritual realm. He has created them all. So all these things were created through Jesus, the heavens and the earth, the visible and the invisible. But why? Why did Jesus create it all? Look again at verse 16. It says that it was for him. It was created through him and for him. Meaning Jesus created all of this for himself, for his glory, for his honor, to show who he was. He, it was, all of his creation shows us a glimpse of why he is worthy to be worshipped. So as, as we think of, to apply that this week, I wonder if you would just take a few moments sometime this week to observe the world around you. Maybe you're on a walk and you look at a sunset and you give thanks to God for creating the sun. Thanks to Jesus for creating that. Or maybe you're in chemistry class, you're a student, and you're just wondering or confused about what's going on in chemistry, but you know there's order there, and you give thanks to God for creating even the laws of physics and the elements and all, how that all works together. So Jesus is the creator. That is one reason why he can uh, reign over all the creation, because he actually created it all. But in verse 17, we see that he's also the sustainer of all things. So in verse 17, it says he is before all things. This is another reason why uh, Jesus is uh, reigning. He is eternal. And then it says in him all things hold together. That's the sustaining piece. That means that the deists got it wrong. Jesus is not distant. He didn't set up the world and like let it run. He is constantly sustaining and maintaining his creation, all of his creation. It means that without Jesus' active involvement, we would cease to exist. I just want us to think about that for a moment. Think about the love and the patience of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could not even live one more second without him giving us the breath, without him keeping us alive. And even in our rebellion, and even if you are here this morning and you are in act of rebellion towards God, he is caring for you. He is sustaining your life. He is providing for you. So Jesus is the creator. He is the sustainer. And then in verse 18, we see that Jesus is the leader of the church. It's kind of a curious statement here. It says that he is the head of the body of the church. We've just heard about how majestic Jesus is. He's created the heavens. He's created the earth. He's created visible, invisible. And then he mentions the church. It's like church is like, for many of us, it feels insignificant. It feels like you know, there's a couple hundred of us here worshiping. What, why is that so significant? Well, it's not insignificant to God. It's not insignificant to the Lord Jesus because the church is going to endure throughout all time. 
And so Jesus has created this, but he is the leader of the church. He's the head of the church through whom the church exists and through whom uh, he causes the church to grow. Uh, It's only in him that the church can grow. So it's as if Paul is saying, hey, Colossians, like, not like, he wouldn't say that, but wake up. Jesus is everything you need. He's the creator. He is the sustainer of everything. He is the founder and leader of the church. Where else do you want to go? What, who else would you go to? This, this one made everything. He sustains everything. He is the reason for your existence as a church. So as we close this section of Jesus reigns over all creation, let me just suggest that implication, which is really the implication for the whole sermon, but Jesus can be trusted. He can be trusted. He knows what he's doing. It's easy, isn't it, just to place the blame on God when things in our lives don't go according to our plan, when tragedy strikes, when abuse happens, when our culture seems to be going downhill, when our lives seem to be meaningless and not what we had planned when we were younger. Friends, remember that Jesus can be trusted. He cannot be manipulated. He will never fail And he will always accomplish his purposes in this world. We may not understand those purposes fully right now, but he can be trusted. So why trust in Jesus? First, because he reigns over everything in all creation. It brings us to the second reason why we should never stop trusting in Jesus, and that is because he reigns over death So look with me in the middle of verse 18. We come to another statement about Jesus. He is the beginning. Now here we're not talking about the beginning like the first cause. Paul clarifies saying that Jesus is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. What does he mean here? He means that Jesus is the beginning of the new creation. Because through his death and resurrection, Jesus inaugurated a new world order, a new creation began. He rose from the dead. He rose himself from the dead, proving that he had defeated sin and death and the devil. And he started this new creation. Right after that statement, Paul says, coupled with what we just said and what what I just said here, it means that everything that Jesus is, he is preeminent in everything. He reigns over the creation. He reigns over death. He is preeminent first in everything. You see, when Adam and Eve fell and sin entered into the world, the entire creation was subject to God's curse. From that point on, the ground would produce thorns and thistles and work would become hard, really hard. Childbearing would become, I don't know, it's, it looks hard. I, I've seen my wife do it a number of times and it looks really, really hard. Uh, death and disease and despair and disappointment would become realities for us. We have all felt those effects. Maybe some of us are feeling those effects right now in a heavy way. But Romans 8 tells us not only us, but also that the entire creation was subject to futility. 
You see hurricanes, you see earthquakes, you see things not working like animals devouring each other. The, some of these documentaries and nature channels, terrifying what they're doing to each other. All is not right in the world. But verse 19 introduces just incredibly encouraging news. It's the reason why Jesus reigns over death. So look at it there in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Translation, God made a way. God made a way for this futility to end. He took the initiative for the curse, the curse that we caused to be broken because all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in this one, Jesus. You see, it even gets better after this. Verse 20 says, and through him to reconcile, Jesus, through him to reconcile all things to himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven. You see, reconciliation is only needed when a wrong has been committed. I don't need to reconcile with my wife if we're in a good place relationally. No, reconciliation is only needed when there is something between two parties, something dividing them. And since the fall, human beings, and in fact here all of creation, have been at odds with God. And we could do nothing about it. We could not make that wrong right. It's all subject to futility and ultimately under his wrath. Things were not well. But God, through Jesus, reconciled all things to himself. All things. How did he do it? Through the most costly payment imaginable. The end of verse 20 says, Peace was made through the shed blood of Jesus. The blood he spilled for us on that Roman cross. You see, that moment in history changed all of history. It changed the world forever. It is the biggest point in all of history. All of creation, in some sense, was reconciled to God through Christ at that moment. Jesus died to remove the barrier that stood between all of us and a holy God, to remove the hostility Through his blood, he removed the enmity. He paid the ransom. He made things right again. He restored order to the universe, the right order. But I know you're thinking, because I was thinking as I was reading this, what about this reconciliation of all things? Uh, Surely that can't mean that everyone is going to be saved. You'd be right. (laughs) That's, That's true. Uh, surely it doesn't mean that all things now function perfectly because they don't. You'd be right again. I don't need to convince you of that. But it does mean that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection restored all creation to be put back into its proper order. This concept of reconciliation, what's happening here, is a bit like when Two countries have been at war, and one of those countries has won decisively, and a peace treaty has been signed between the two countries. But people are still fighting. An extreme example of this happened years ago. There was a guy named Hiro Anoda. He was is around World War II time. He was a Japanese intelligence officer. He continued fighting for 29 years after World War II ended. 
He didn't believe the pamphlets, and he was fighting guerrilla warfare for 29 years. The point is, even if the war has ended, even if reconciliation has been bought, it doesn't mean that all is well. People still need to believe that that peace treaty was signed. They still need to act in accordance with it. And though Jesus, through the cross, Jesus made peace with the universe, he defeated the enemies of sin, Satan, and death by absorbing God's wrath against sin on the cross, today we still see opposition to him at every turn. There is still trouble in all creation. But through the cross, Jesus has inaugurated the new creation. Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled and has, in fact, reconciled us. The new creation has broken in. He reigns over it. Philippians 2.10 says that everyone for all time will bow the knee. They will confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether those in saving faith and worship or those who are bowing the knee in bitter defeat, they would have to and will have to acknowledge Jesus is Lord, even as they go to their own punishment and destruction. And at that time, the entire creation will be set free from its bondage. This reconciliation, friends, happened at the cross. I love how Pastor Dick Lucas says it. He says, God has made him... Jesus, the agent of reconciliation for all, just because there is no other mediator capable of reconciling any. He's made the reconciliation for all just because no one else can reconcile any. So friends, Jesus has made a way for all of creation to be reconciled to him through the cross. He has removed that barrier. Reconciliation was done by him that means the world will not always be this way. It means that Jesus has won, even though we see him in opposition. There's many in opposition to him now, but he will win in the end. So why believe in Jesus? Because he is supreme over death. He reigns over death. Now we come to the final reason why we should never stop trusting in Jesus and that is because he alone can make you right with God. So he, is, he reigns over creation. He reigns over death, the new creation. He alone can make you right with God. So we just learned that Jesus did a macro reconciliation of the world through his death and resurrection. The world's order has been restored, even if we don't see it in its fullness yet. His enemies have been defeated it's guaranteed. It's been done. But the fight does continue. But now Paul reminds the Colossians why Jesus can be trusted by reminding them of their former state. Where were they before they knew Jesus? By the way, this is where all of us were before knowing Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus yet, this is where you are currently. He says there in verse 21, they were alienated. That means they were far from God no way to get back to him. They were hostile in mind, meaning their minds were set on things that displeased God, that by nature they were in opposition and enmity towards God. They were offensive to God. And then through their evil thoughts came evil deeds, so they were doing evil deeds. It's the inevitable outworking of a mind that's hostile to God is that it would do evil deeds. 
But verse 22 shows us that Jesus did something about this hostility in a very personal way. It says he has reconciled us. There's the word again. Not just in the macro sense of all creation, but now in this micro sense. He reconciled each one of us individually, everyone who believes in him. How did he do it? Again, we go back to the most important moment in all of human history. In his body of flesh, by his death on the cross. This is a once-for-all deal. It's a done deal. Why did Jesus do that for us? Well, we know that he loves us, and he has done that, verse 22, to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, friends, none of us can stand before a holy God. We need to be clothed in another's righteousness. And Jesus provides the way through his death and resurrection. But then we get this curious conditional phrase in verse 23. He's going to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. Like, oh no, how do I do that? Well, in the original language, this type of phrase is assumed true for the sake of argument. Paul does not think they are going to sway from the faith. He knows that the Colossians have received the true gospel. It's bearing fruit. It's increasing. So, in a sense, Paul is saying, if you indeed continue in the faith, this faith in Jesus that has been passed down from me and the apostles, which hasn't changed I'm confident that you will, then Jesus will present you as holy, blameless, above reproach before God on that day of judgment. There is a warning, though. There is a warning for those who are around the faith, who are just around church and think, hey, I like these people. They're, they're pretty nice, and th- they do a lot of good stuff, and um, they're kind to me, and we're glad if you don't know Christ, that you think that. But it is a warning here for not really believing. If you don't continue in the faith, in other words, if you don't trust in Jesus and continue to trust in Jesus, uh, you will not be presented as holy and blameless before him. You need to trust in Christ. And if you've truly trusted him, you will continue in the faith. Stable, steadfast, not swerving from uh, what, what might come towards you. So doing better is not the solution. Being religious is not the solution. Trusting in the right person is the solution to continuing in the faith. We've got to continue in Christ, to trust in Him, to put our faith in Him, not in ourselves. So the application for us is this, do not move beyond the true gospel. You don't need any secret ways to grow closer to him. We need to cling to Jesus. He's the rock. How do you stay stable and steadfast? You do that by clinging to him in faith. Well, now as we close, I want us to listen again to God's word. Let us hear that he reigns over creation. He reigns over the new creation, over the dead. 
And he is the only one who can make us right before God. If you're not right before God today, don't leave here before you are. I'd love to pray with you after the service. Maybe you are right before God on the macro sense, but you still need to pray and reflect about what God is calling you to do here. Maybe you need to just thank him for who he is or admit that you have not been trusting him with your life. You don't think he's got this, if you're honest. So let's trust in this one. Let us behold this one and let us never stop trusting in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for passages like this one that tell us and show us in living color who you are and what you've done through Jesus. Lord Jesus, words fail us when we think of your majesty, of your love for us. You're a high king the high king of heaven, yet you come to the lowly and the least. Lord, there is no one greater than you, and yet you see the weakest and the poorest and the most vulnerable. We are so grateful. We bow before you and we worship you.